Welcome to The Winner's Edit, a Survivor storyline and editing podcast. I'm your host, Joe. I'm Dan. Hello. And we are here covering episode three of season 39 of Survivor, Island of the Idols. Honesty would be chill. I would have liked to say that I would have called this being the surfer bro saying this, but I totally thought it was going to be Missy. I think I'm always (laughs) going to think it's going to be Missy. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of surprising how soon it came. It was all of a sudden. Um, and just just an interesting choice that I guess I'll talk about way later when we talk about Jack. But yeah, sort of uh, clues us into the weird episode we're going to be having. This is one of the weirdest episodes I can remember of Survivor. I absolutely agree. I feel like the storytelling was very scatterbrained and very all over the place. Where I felt like it, and uh, yeah, I think this opening scene was actually a very good encapsulation of that. Where we see Jack be like, "Oh no, I I was left out of the vote," and then people are like, "Are you smiling?" And he's like, "Yeah, man, Survivor's great." There's like a missing component there. Like it, it kind of leaves you off on edge a little bit. And then you see kind of Jack and Jamal completely react differently to these things. I think that's really fascinating. To me, this was the best episode of the season by a decent number. Obviously, there's only been three on a pure episode basis. That said, I do think it shows some warning signs for the future because there were clearly like a bunch of plot lines just entirely dropped for no reason. But yeah, I do think that overall it worked well as an episode. Yeah, I guess as a standalone episode, it was enjoyable. It was very funny. There are lots of little funny moments throughout that we'll probably get to. But if you consider the last two episodes, it's just a strange departure. It's essentially like episode one gave us one version of the Lyro tribe and then they disappeared in the second episode and we got tossed into an alternate universe version of the Lyro tribe for episode three and just trying to reconcile what that means for the season going ahead. Um, Vokai on the other hand seemed very consistent with how things were structured and kept going the way it was going and had a generally good episode. So yeah, interesting things afoot. Agreed. And I think we're seeing some very interesting editing decisions when we look at the season as a whole. Obviously, in the last episode, I talked about how interesting it was that Molly got all this content in episode one about being observant and noticeable and all that kind of stuff. How that people made it hype up. Oh, she's really likable and a good player. Maybe throw her on a winner contender list or something. And I think we're seeing these boots are all getting like their story kind of set up in the episode before we get Vince kind of like Vince is one of the only characters in episode two on the library tribe that gets content, very bad content that sets up, sets up this boot. I think that's kind of an interesting thing that we're seeing is Mm -hmm. we're not getting the shock boot, shock visibility. We're getting the set it up and then kind of take it down a little bit in the actual episode kind of style of boots. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, makes her something interesting, I guess, if we go to who we go to tribal with next episode. Uh, Lyro, I think, has some possibilities. Uh, but Vokai, I don't know, who are we? Who could we expect to go? I guess under that sort of schema, it makes it seem like 
it almost is definitely Lyro because I can't really see anyone from Vokai going necessarily. I don't know. I think that's not an unreasonable take. I do think that there's some interesting things about this episode in particular. To me, I noticed immediately that it was just structured very differently. The first commercial break happened pretty late into the episode, mm-hmm. where we got to see both tribes kind of deal with the ramifications of the last round. And I think what was really, really interesting was obviously we know that Lyro in this episode ends up going to tribal. But we see basically the entire tribal dynamic on the Vokai tribe. We see uh, Jamal is hurt and reconvenes with Tommy, but doesn't completely trust Tommy, tries to rework with Danny or with Dan, uh, and is already scheming to get out Dan and the counter to the trying to get Dan out plan. We literally see like seven sides of this tribe. Um, like it almost feels like four episodes worth of content of the Vokai tribes if they were to go to tribal and they don't go to tribal. I think this is very, very, very interesting. Yeah, it's very layered where it's like, oh, Nora's the easy unanimous vote. And then Jamal's like, we should get Dan out. And then um, Tommy goes to Janet about this. And it's all sorts of layers of content there. And yeah, it was like they almost tried to establish like a full like tribal round there um as opposed to lyro where they like i said they switched gears entirely uh except for the girls alliance which stuck around but all of a sudden karishma is this outsider sort of seen as the weakest link of the tribe and has a really bizarre episode that we'll probably talk a bunch about but it sort of defines this new way forward for lyro Karishma's episode here is one of the strangest things I have ever seen. Yeah. Like, the whole thing, like the way people reacted to her. I feel like we're not seeing the full picture. Like something's a little off there. But you get what you get. Yeah, it's like I don't know. I don't know what's going on. At I guess they had, if you think about how the vote panned out, they had to establish really quickly, right? Karishma was the uh, split plan. Um, why Tom got a vote. Just They had to pack a lot of stuff in there. And now I'm just curious why they set up the first episode that way, where they had this girls alliance coming together, but also this alliance of three, Elaine, Tom, and Vince, that we saw nothing of. Um, just all sorts of weird things all around. We literally see Tom immediately target Vince, and Vince immediately target Tom with no recourse whatsoever and no mention of Elaine. Yeah. I, I feel like that, to me, is the big... Uh, that kind of stuff is always the mark of a bad season. I remember when we were covering David vs. Goliath, and like episode 5, we were commenting on all these brilliant little cues that they set up in the previous episodes that lined up these awesome episodes perfectly. And then I remember, like, Ghost Island, where it's like, at first, it's like, ooh, this was an entertaining episode, but where'd the story go? And we're saying that every time, and then we get to the end of Ghost Island, and it's just, I want this season to end. I get a little bit too much of those vibes right now that they're just kind of abandoning the story. Mm -hmm. I hope they don't do that moving forward. But we did get to see some, like, reintroductions. I mean, we got to see Dean for the first time. I think that was fun. (laughs) And I do want to say that the challenge was awesome. The challenge was really, really good. 
Hats uh, off to the producers. The teeter totter gave me like anxiety because when both tribes jumped off of it, they like obviously when one side jumps off, the other side like sinks down, and I feel like that was dangerous. But otherwise, yeah, a very good challenge that I think showed each tribe had to make some interesting strategic decisions that. I think we needed like a Redemption Island style, I believe it was, where they showed the actual strategy of how they split stuff up. Um, because it seemed like Karishma just didn't fit in anywhere but the puzzle. So they put her there and all that. Just very interesting throughout. I feel like that kind of stuff would be excellent, like CBS All Access style content. If they could just like upload the huddle, because... I do think, especially in this episode, at Tribal, we saw Tom, I believe, say, there's people on this tribe that volunteered and said they're good at puzzles. Oh, no, it was Aaron who said this. He said they volunteered and said they're good at puzzles, and they completely flopped. Um, how, like, we're always going to lose if there's a puzzle because of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the time you show Karishma volunteer for the puzzle or something. Yeah. Because then we're left in this strange disarray where Dean was also doing the puzzle. Why was he not brought up at all? <laughs> oh, I'm guessing because he didn't volunteer to do the puzzle, he was probably just thrust on it, and Karishma volunteered very aggressively, is what I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't know, because Dean was also on the puzzle in the first episode, which they uh, fell apart on, so... Mm. All sorts of... Somehow Dean is escaping blame here. I, it's definitely something I'm, I'm interested to see what was going on. I guess my theory is that Karishma is just a lot more of a social pariah than the show's even showing us now, is my guess. Mm-hmm. If I had to kind of exp- like figure out what they were trying to tell us with all this stuff, but that she actually does kind of slot into the Women's Alliance, but we can get there when we get to her. Yeah, I think one thing that you wanted to flag up here was how... And I mean, I I made a tweet about this during the episode of, so Rob and Sandra just killed Vince, right? That's what the episode told us. Oh, yeah. Like, I guess we can go two ways on this. The point I was going to make is that we kind of thought Rob and Sandra could be these reliable, um, simplifying narrators for the casual audience almost. And that does not appear to be the case. Uh, They really liked Vince. Um, and then it's their actions that sort of cause him to not play his idol. They tell him not to get too paranoid and he doesn't play his idol and goes home. Uh, they were saying that they liked Karishma at the first tribal and I guess they didn't necessarily say they're wrong here, but the edit kind of showed that they were wrong because Christmas kind of up and down as far as things go. But yeah, it was just, we can't take Rob and Sandra as people who are going to nail this season down for us. If anything, I'm starting to get the exact opposite vibe. I don't know if you remember, but in the first episode, Boston Rob like nods encouragingly at what Ronnie is saying. And then they highlight Vince, they highlight Karishma. Who did they highlight on the Purple Tribe? I believe... Oh, I mean Kelly, obviously. And 
Oh, and Jason. Jason's the other one there that mm -hmm. they showed like some sort of words of encouragement there for. But everyone other than Jason then in this situation is has been like maligned by the edit. Like really dug into. And Kelly. Yeah. It's something to keep in mind is that they're probably just given we're probably just getting what they actually think about these people. Right. That's true. Um so, something to mark down for sure. So yeah. Something in the future will look at their comments, but they need to be taken with a grain of salt. Because right now they're being shown almost as uh signs of like bad omens for the players and there. Uh the other thing with your tweet bringing up is that uh Island of the Idols is having very sizable a very sizable impact on strategy in this season because what Lyra does immediately after Vince leaves is like, oh, we have to vote Vince out because he could have an idol. Which I don't think that's good. I know you don't think that's good, so Shocker, I'm not okay with the plan and the implementation that makes the strategy much less interesting. This has always been the problem with Exile or Ghost Island or whatever, is optimal play. Survivor's a very complicated game of, like, human chess, and when you put in a variable where one person is distinctly different than everybody else and is entering in, in a different uh, sort of circumstance than everybody else and leaves them to get a chance at a mystery power that could screw over the other people. You were basically asking them to vote that person out. So, like, what, these people are just getting sent to 50-50 chance you get a thing that can save yourself from getting the votes just split on you. It's horrible game design. Like, it's actually horrible game design. And that's what I've always hated. I think they've got bailed out in the past that people have been wary to target these people. But I think this episode 100% encapsulates everything that's wrong with these kind of twists. Like, good players, when you think about it, can look at d data and be like, oh, I need to remove the chaotic variable. That is Vince. It's easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the real game changer, I saw this on Reddit, is Kelly for picking Vince's name out of that bag in episode two. Like, that's kind of why Vince went home. Actually, um, really, like, what else can you attribute it to? Sure, maybe he was overplaying, maybe he was kind of in the middle, but multiple people who voted Vince, if we're trusting the show, which, I mean, maybe we should, for trusting the show, multiple people told us they didn't want to vote Vince. He mm -hmm. leaves primarily because people are pushing to vote him out because he's gone. It's just a very goofy and silly thing, and I just don't know why Survivor doesn't trust their format enough that they can't constantly want to throw these things in that limits the social politicking. That's why I think people want to watch this show. Uh, that's why I want to watch the show. I don't want to watch, oh, he got picked out of his hat out of a bag, or his name out of a hat. So now he's kind of, he has to, I don't want to get voted out. Yeah. And then almost even more infuriating is that they've dropped it. Vince didn't pick a name. And now, like, episode four, like, Vokai just gets to choose. It's like, where's the consistency at least? I think that maybe what they what happened is they saw, oh crap, this guy got voted out because he got randomly drawn, and so they changed it.
on the fly? Possibly. Or else does it just change on episode four? <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> like, it's just the kind of thing that just reads, like, dumb production interference where they're like, oh no, oh no, this <laughs> is what's going to happen every time. Well, I mean, somehow Elizabeth, like, miraculously dodged it, which is, like, another contributing factor to the mystery of Elizabeth, who kind of had, like, an okay episode, but just all weird in general. I don't know. She's a strange one, for sure. I have a hot take about her later on that we'll get to. I'm trying to think. Uh, The only other thing I want to mention is, I guess just... Like, poor Robin Sandra, because I'm sure they're going to realize that they've set this guy up for misery. Oh! And, like, that's got to be painful, because I think Sandra probably did actually like Vince quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But I do want to mention that, and I want this to be very clear, if anybody who's ever been on a film set or seen the behind-the-scenes uh, Survivor, like, behind-the-scenes Survivor videos, even, you see how many people are actually there on the beach at any given time. The fact that night content exists means that, like, you see people sleeping on the show a lot. means that at any given nighttime, there's, like, at least 15 people walking around this beach, right? Is it at all hard to Vince to get the fire? I don't think it is at all, because why would you assume it's Vince? If you're a random Vokai tribe member, you not think it's somebody from the other tribe, you think it's a producer. Because there are other people there. There are cameramen there. We saw four shots of Vince, I counted, uh, from different angles, which meant there were, like, multiple cameramen following this guy. Like, it wasn't just Vince crawling on the ground. There was multiple people walking beside him, filming him. This was the easiest task in the entire world, I think. Yep. Yeah. Just, uh, And I mean... How does this task actually, like, help you with your Survivor game? Like, it's just, I don't know. It looks cool, though. So, I, like, from a production standpoint, I do actually like the idea. It's just, like, it's one of those things that when you think about for more than, like, 30 seconds, it's really stupid. Yeah, also, like, a few humorous moments from it, like, with him falling, um, Tommy's bad dream, which is just bizarre, all sorts of stuff. I think that was really, really interesting. I assume that that was just, like... At one point, I was like, ooh, is this heavy foreshadowing? But I kind of think that was just... Actually just happened in that moment. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, that brings us here to the story section, uh, where we kind of just go through the stories of the season, what we think progressed, what we think kind of stagnated, and just kind of pick up on all that good foreshadowing goodness. So we're going to start here with the idea of seeking a mentor, teaching, uh, searching for idols. In this episode, I feel like, as we kind of alluded to earlier, we might be seeing that uh, sometimes you have bad teachers. Mm-hmm. Like that one movie with like, was it like Cameron Diaz or yes. whatever. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you have um, Tommy, the great teacher. Sometimes you have Cameron Diaz. Either way, you gotta learn and appreciate your teacher from what they are. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see maybe if, like, Rob and Sandra note what they've done in the next episode and 
how they're like course correcting almost to be better teachers and maybe it'll affect the people who go. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other big moments of teaching. Big one here for me that I noticed immediately and was like, oh, this is definitely intentional, I think. I think that this is Dan, 100%. Dan has a confessional where he says, I like having naive players in the game because I can make them do what I want and teach them how teach them what they need to do that's good for me and them. It was very, like, that's like mm. summarizing teaching yeah. in a way that I thought was very, very intentional and in your face. More credence to me of Dan's long-term story, honestly. I, f- I feel like Dan, every week, we I'm becoming more and more confident that this guy's one of our main characters. Yeah, I agree that he's probably long-term due to a variety of things, but this sort of content definitely helps that. Um, Other than that, I'm trying to think if there is... I mean, obviously, this whole episode was about Vince and his journey with meeting mentors that meant so much to him, right? He talks about how important it is that Sandra is somebody who's won multiple times and is a person of color. I think that's really, really fascinating. It's absolutely a story of teachers, right? It's it's a story of a mentor, uh, of an idol, it's obviously the downside of it. Um, so I do think that's kind of interesting. And I mean, I guess you could vaguely touch on the idea of Elizabeth not mentioning it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Something there, but... Um, I kind of thought the way like Karishma and Dean just could not get a grasp as a puzzle, even as like... Missy very clearly shouted, one side has color and the other side has sprinkles, which is a very fun way to describe that fish puzzle. Um, Just, yeah, taking moments of teaching and using them for good or for bad, depending on how you utilize them yourself. Absolutely. So I guess that brings us here to our next theme, which is the idea of proving who you are, connecting to people, and speaking your mind. The, I feel like the obvious example here is Vince's inability to speak his mind to the guys. He just kind of like ducks hmm. his eyes around, and the guy's the most obvious liar in the entire world there. Um, but also Karishma, right? Like Karishma being like, guys, yeah. what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I think Karishma is like the big example here because it's all about talking to talking about how she needs to connect with people how she like it's all three of these points in some way she can't connect to the girls the same way um then she really wants to prove who she is as a player um to her community yeah and can't seem to do that and then tangentially almost speaking her mind like she has an issue with naming a name, which Vince highlights. And I think that is going to be an issue going forward. We saw that in the first episode too, where she was just talking with the guys and was like, I will do whatever you guys want to do, like reiterating it. So I think this is a really big story for Karishma. Um, And I think we're seeing most of maybe the bad parts of it, but a lot of it is not being presented as Karishma's fault, which. Maybe it's just showing 
what happens if you fail to do these things as opposed to someone who's going to flourish and be able to connect to people like a Tommy or a Jack or someone. Agreed. And we literally see in this episode Christmas say, I'm dancing and flirt. I'm like, I'm dancing around in my underwear. It's all an act. She says that very specifically, almost counterintuitive to the idea of proving who you really are beneath everything. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting uh, of a, of a parallel a there. Additionally, we have in this episode just the whole, I feel like the whole Women's Alliance thing kind of coalesces around this theme where they're at the start, they're just like, the men don't even know how close we are. It looks like just a bonding session, but really it's strategy. I feel like that is um, related here. And the other thing that I really caught was the relation, like basically, I mean, Dean, right? Dean says, oh, everyone was thinking it. I blurted it out. Oops. Yeah, that is an example of speaking your mind. And it was not a good example. And this so. season's had a very, you should be very delicate about the way you speak your mind. Kelly is rewarded for uh, gently handling Dan. Dean is treated like a moron. I mean, it was a very stupid thing to do, but he is treated like a moron for doing this, for speaking his mind. Yeah. Um, I think there's a very clear theme that it's saying, don't speak your mind when you don't have to. Do it in a delicate way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. even on that point, I mean, Jack, he literally, he's like, yeah, I'm mad. I was left out of the vote. But I gotta just show that I'm a chill guy uh, that just loves Survivor and roll with the punches. Right. And then we even see Tommy and- say, I really want to work with Jamal, and I really want to work with Jack. Jack is so easygoing, I want to work with him, but Jamal's a whole nother issue. Jamal's actually speaking his mind, right? That's a bit, like, right. absolutely is a major theme. Mm-hmm. Here. If we go back to, like, episode two, we see Jamal at Tribal sort of blurting out, like, oh, the game is at such an easy pace. It's in first gear right now. And it's shown very poorly. Like, Jason instantly rebuts against it. And then in this episode, you can sort of look at a dichotomy of Jack and Jamal where Jack comes out. He's like, yeah, I'm fine with this. I'm just going to lay low and wait. And then Jamal is already scheming. He's like, I'm a wild card. I need to make plans. I want to be in the driver's seat. So, yeah, I think we're getting set up for something amiss there. Absolutely agreed. And I think that... Yeah, I feel like it's all about this is all about delicate talking. It's it's Kelly's story I feel like has brought brought it out to basically be everybody's story of good play. I think that's very very fascinating. Probably very good for people like Kelly and Tommy. Mhm. Next up we have the one uh that came up again in this episode is the putting up with people and we've seen that come through with personal space and touching with Dan. Uh, the paranoia of having an idol. And this week, I kind of added the concept of likability being a liability that we saw in the first episode. At this point, we've seen a lot of this. Uh, people want to keep Nora because she's obnoxious. But specifically in this episode, I think the most important thing for this was Jamal being, going to Janet and saying, yeah, Dan is obnoxious. He is overwhelming. Should we do something about it? Or do we put up with him was a a question that was asked here. Right. And I've always leaned more towards the spatial aspect of this because I feel it just gets more and more important. And this 
uh, episode yet again, as we saw in the first two episodes. We do get these like long scenes of Dan and Kelly at the immunity challenge when Kelly is crossing Dan on the balance beam. It's just a long scene on them. And it's not particularly creepy. Like Kelly needs to get around Dan, but it's just dwelling on this is an important story for this season. Um, It really felt that moment in particular stood out in the challenge is like the moment that felt the most connected. And you even see her being like, no, no, I need Jason to come help me. Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting. And I felt like it was dwelled on in an editing way. I, I don't think that was just like, happened to happen in the challenge it did obviously but i do think there was specific focus there in the challenge that i noticed right uh another spatial thing uh crew and camera crew are not is vince invading the other tribes camp it's sort of this spatial like oh i have to get close but surely one of them will be awake um thing where it's always talking about sort of the actual physical space of Survivor and how that plays into the game and different things. So, I, I absolutely agree. And honestly, the more I think about it, we I, we kind of pitched the idea of Dan the losing finalist in the past. Stuff like this just makes me think that's more and more possible. This, mm-hmm. as we talk about a lot, oftentimes these themes end up paying off and they're the final tribal council speeches. And Dan in the first episode talked a whole lot about caring about specific space. This is the kind of stuff that makes me really think that we are on that path. That it is like specifically being regurgitated, specifically being rebrought back into the narrative. Makes me think that that kind of stuff is very good. That's why that to me is all about the longevity of people. How many of these long-term stories are these people checking off? Yeah, we've talked about it going two ways. Either it's that long-term losing finalists comes up at final tribal council idea or it's all going to build to a head where a big moment occurs a big messy moment and someone just things get really they really erupt and that's when the story pays off agreed so next up the theme that seemed completely abandoned to me here was the idea work but maybe you have a different vibe here i thought this was absolutely represented in janet's um work at the immunity challenge where obviously she's gonna lose to the olympic swimmer but she's still working her hardest and jeff is really egging her on and she doesn't give up and guess what vokai wins the challenge because of it so i think that's another point where it's reiterated to some extent that's very true and part of this theme as we mentioned in the first episode was tom's summary of what happens normally in survivor which is the uh, people care too much about the big guys and don't focus enough on the little guys when gretzky could be the best hockey player all that stuff but specifically that uh tribes that don't uh work together well just fall apart I think we're honestly seeing Vokai works better together than Lyra right. does. Yeah, and part of this has to do with their over-insistence on physical strength, I think, on the Lyra tribe. Mm-hmm. It's like how we mentioned in episode two when the tribe itself at camp doesn't appear to be very strong together is when they fail at the immunity challenge. I think even though we saw 
some interesting tribal dynamics. It wasn't really aggressive opposition towards one another. Whereas Karishma has, I guess, sort of like, well, not Karishma, but, but Lyro as a tribe has like isolated Karishma and they are talking about splitting the vote on Vince and all this stuff that just sort of leads into their failure of teamwork at the challenge. Agreed. And there's probably, honestly, if you go back, a the way they frame the narratives of the, both these tribes probably actually makes a lot of sense now. I kind of lambasted them for just dropping the trio of Elaine, Tom, and Vince. But when those three people are talking about how important it is to have the entire tribe together, and then people are talking about how they're clearly a three away from everybody, and then you have the girls' alliance, which is girls versus guys, it's a tribe that's full of conflict, right? It's full of people having just, like, division away from each other. But then you have people like Tom being reliable narrators saying tribes that have divisions fail. And we're seeing basically just, like, generalized divisions on the Lyra tribe that aren't very complex. It's probably, honestly, a good summary of what's going wrong here in hindsight. Right. And I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of... There wasn't enough time for camp scenes, to be honest. Like, episode didn't feel that rushed, but... They got what they could in. Yeah. So, next... And obviously the whole... Oh, no, the one thing I want to mention is there's a whole lot of... We did mention that part of this has to do with... um, Tribe strength is greater than physical strength. I think Karishma at Tribal uh, exemplifies this theme perfectly when she says, they're like, oh, she's bad at puzzles. She should have volunteered. And her her rebuttal is, you, I'm, I could throw Chelsea all around this Tribal Council. I'm built really strong. Missing the point there, Karishma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's like basically sums up that one. Then we have assume nothing and think outside the box, which was not here. I feel like uh, I have another one for this one. Um, <laughs> sort of if it's linked to Island of the Idols, I guess you can kind of say Vince seeing that the fire is out and then scooping up the coals. Although to be fair, the episode sort of leaned into it when it was like, if the fire is out, you gotta find another way to prove the fire was out. But it sort of felt like a really uh a moment of ingenuity for Vince there. But he did get voted out, so I don't know where it's building to. But yeah. Oh no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, let's just call what we saw what we saw. That was the world's most obvious post-added voiceover ever by Boston Rob of, oh, or anything else that proves you were there. (laughs) So I feel like that was probably just a CBS or late decision to be like, oh, maybe the audience won't be receptive to him getting it if we don't say that up front. Because it was literally, we literally saw a scene of him having to bargain with them. Be like, no, 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 look, I was there. Here's Ashes. And then Sandra's like, oh, but it was raining, Rob. I feel like we should give it to him. That makes <laughs> no sense if they've previously already discussed that. Um, That's true. Yeah. Which I thought was sloppy. Well, it had to, I don't know. It had to be sufficient proof. Yeah, I guess theoretically. We're weighing 
weighing the amount of proof he had. But mm-hmm. yeah, I do think that that is something, I guess, that Vince did show ingenuity and he was edited very positively in this episode. So I do think that actually is a good point, probably in favor of being adaptable. Vince mentions the importance of being adaptable. So yeah, that's probably spot on there, actually. And then other than that, we just have this high school theme of nerds, cool kids, girls, guys, which obviously is here. We have the Lyra tribe having the um, girls alliance, but mm-hmm. beyond that, we really didn't get the high school talk. We didn't really get divisions beyond that. Yeah, I kind of wonder if the high school thing was just to uh, service the King, Queen and Jack storyline and we won't see much more of it. I hope so. With Lyro being girls versus guys, they're really mixed up, and um, I think Vokai is past that too. So you kind of see it maybe a little with Karishma being like, I don't fit in, but I don't know. I think it's mostly gone for now. Absolutely agreed. And again, maybe this will pop up more later, but who knows? Anyways, we will start here with the Vokai tribe. Which we saw a startling amount of, I thought, in this episode. This was my first takeaway immediately was... I I tweeted this actually during the broadcast was... This felt a lot like one of those episodes where someone gets medevaced or a double tribal or something like that. Because we got both... Again, like I said, like both tribes got a whole bunch of pre-tribal content about who they'd vote out. Right. And there was just weird things going on with content on Lyro anyway, that this is the first time it really was like, I have no idea who's going home come Tribal Council. Like something weird could happen. But yeah, I agree that it sort of had a medevac vibe, especially with like the pre or the next time on showing someone with their hand cut open and bleeding. So exactly. I thought a swap or. Even in the episode, once we got Karishma kind of telling her backstory and all that, I thought there was a possibility she'd quit. Yeah, especially once, like, the whole tribe didn't didn't rush to her side or anything. Like, I mean, we'll get to that more with Karishma, but that just seemed like it was building up for, like, I don't want to be here, so... Exactly. So I guess that's something to note, is that this was kind of a strange structured episode, but anyways, Vokai, at this point, to me, if we're doing our uh, Complex Tribe watch, is so obviously the Complex Tribe. We kind of joked last week about how Lyro Tribe vanished, and well, maybe this episode would be Lyro coming back and Vokai being invisible, and instead it was almost 50-50, which mm-hmm. to me was like, oh, so we have Close to 50-50, Invisible Lyro, pretty dang close to 50-50 again, is a clear win for Vokai. Like, Vokai is, I think, definitely a complex tribe. Yeah, I think if you just look at episode 2 and 3, where each tribe goes to tribal council, and you sort of see the balance of editing, like, it just shows, oh, this is your complex tribe, it's Vokai. And, yeah, so, we'll dive into them start with dan uh who really had i think a very fascinating episode we've talked about him a little bit already but he immediately just kind of emerges again he had a little bit of a week off last week where we still get to see him a little bit but he's mostly in the shadows and then right here he's right here again he's gonna try to rope in 
Jamal. He's going to try to rope in all kinds of people. I think that's really, really interesting uh, from a gameplay standpoint. And to me, this episode just reinforced that Dan, I feel like, is going very, very far. To me, he's the most likely losing finalist at this point. And this episode just kind of summed that up for me. Yeah. I, I think that's crazy to say in episode three. Usually it'd be like, ah, you must have spoilers if you think someone's going to be a losing finalist this early. But uh, I don't know. Dan seems very a very good case for it. Maybe I'm getting better at recognizing it, I feel. But it's just this sort of constant content with flaws like it doesn't feel wintery but it feels very long term you can see all the ways he could get there why he's not going to be voted out but why he's also not going to win all sorts of stuff being built in there yeah it's the delicate balance of showing this guy is a very capable player and he has good reads and people are willing to defend him i think it's very interesting that tommy here is now effectively linked with Dan in the most roundabout way they could possibly manage it. So to me, it reads like Dan is going to be here for a while, specifically because we see why he's capable, but also constantly are told why he's going to lose. Yep. <laughs> he's overbearing, he's quick-talking, he's a used car salesman, he's creepy, he's... We, we know so much negative stuff about this man that... <laughs> It'd be a, like, and they're, but they're not quite burying him. He's not over the top negative. Yeah, it felt like the way this could have gone with a Lyro, Lyro tribal is that they could have gone up to the point where Dan says he wants to get out Nora, and then Jamal comes back and is like, oh, but maybe Dan is kind of shady, and then stop there. But instead, they went further, and Tommy and Janet have this discussion where they talk about getting rid of Jamal because he's going. He's making a big move and going after Dan. So that sort of takes the heat off him and makes him just a piece as opposed to um, the next target. Exactly. That said, he could also just be like an obstacle. He could be Andrew Savage or something like that. It's possible. I just think I would say he has enough complexity right now to be that kind of captivating losing finalist that we tend to see. And honestly, I'm warming up to him a little bit as a character. I thought he was actually a lot of fun in this episode. So hopefully he continues that side of him and less of the creepo stuff. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like, if he could, as long as there's no more really creepy moments, like, I kind of like this understated Dan, almost game body, like game body light, like, figure. Yes. No, he's like he he's honestly if you were to map out all the people who you would say are reliable narrators at this point or sorry uh, like reliable game bot players like players that will tell you strategy Dan's in like the top 5 I think. Mhm. Which is definitely interesting. And we did mention earlier how there's a possibility that Dan and Kelly are the complex duo. This was not a fantastic episode for that theory. Yep. Kelly was not there. So I think that's the biggest mark against him here, is that if Kelly was in this episode a lot, I feel like that'd be even better for Dan. That, to me, is not fantastic for Dan. Mm-hmm. I still, like, I see a path where he could potentially win, but it's it's very slim. Just maybe a it's a question what they were thinking. Yeah. 
And maybe it's a little bit wishful thinking, but yeah, like <laughs> um, it, it, I could see Survivor editing it that way, unfortunately. So like, oh, we'll just redeem him at some point. So if Dan all of a sudden turns super positive for the rest of the season, maybe, <laughs> maybe he's your winner. But almost the Adam Klein, where it's intense positivity whenever paired with where whenever they get negativity. So. Well, he's he's kind of feeling a little like Mike White right now. Hmm. Like, we kind of thought Jason was supposed to fill that role, but I could see Dan being that same sort of person where he's a big player come the merge, like, making moves, and either somehow gets to the finals or sort of another big player to go somewhere in the mid-merge. So. Like, maybe, like, Mike White randomly gets edited as the winner sometimes. Like, randomly we'll get, like, a winner episode and then vanish off. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm tracking Dan right now. And I do think he will be tied to Kelly. The downside here would be if he has, like, if in, instead of being this losing finalist, he's actually, like, the... I'm, I could see, a, like, a Shireen-style moment with him that could be bad, and that would be where he leaves earlier, probably. Mm-hmm. Then again, yeah. Shereen off the left way before Wilson, so... <laughs> um, losing finalists not off the table. Anyways, let's move here to Jack, who is one person that, leaving this episode, I just wanted to talk a whole lot about. Last week, you had him as your number one winner contender, and I was like, mm, I have him at number three. Jack is now my number one winner contender by far. This was a spectacular episode, I feel like, for Jack. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about how I want to talk about the episode title, Honesty Would Be Chill. He, like, says this maybe two minutes into the episode, and then we get this scene with Jack being talking about what he's going to do, now that he was blindsided, and how it's okay. And then we don't really see him for the rest of the episode, and I think that was amazing for him. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just... The perfect thing, the audience knows who Jack is, they know what his plan is, and I think it leaves him in a really good spot for next episode. I think we need a little bit of, like, where he fits in to Vokai, now that things have shaken out, but from here, yeah, I still feel good about having him as number one. Absolutely. I think you 100% hit the nail on the head, where he gets a Mia Culpa, he's blindsided by the vote, but he basically gets to say, okay, I was blindsided by the vote, but it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to fix it by doing this. And then we see him do that. And then we get the validation from Tommy that he has successfully done that. So I'm just going to make people know that I like them and I'm not faced by it. Then Tommy says, Jack's great to work with. I really want to work with Jack. And that's mm-hmm. all you need to hear. It reinforces Tommy and Jack as a duo. It uh, exonerates Jack of being a bad player. For voting in the minority, and it gives him a little bit of an underdog story. Fantastic episode for Jack. Yep. I don't know if I have much more to say. I guess I'm just going to bring this up now. We'll bring it up again when we get to Tommy. Tommy looked a lot more like uh, Jeremy or Josh Canfield in this episode than he has in the past, where it just he seemed like it almost seemed obnoxious how much like, braggadocious hero kind of stuff he was getting here uh, made me think that uh, this might be the story of someone burning too bright too fast. 
yeah, he just feels like such a front runner that it's sort of giving us that theory. And I know it's a really easy theory to fall in, especially as you root for less obvious favorites. But I really think there's that idea where he could go and someone could sort of inherit his goodwill. Jack is a good contender for that. I have another one, but Jack is obviously my number one pick for that. And the thing is, the biggest threat to people like Tommy's edit is always going to be the fact that Jack's edit exists. Mm -hmm. Why is he getting all this really weird, random, good content that, like, keeps him in the public mind and everything? Like, it's... There's there's clear crafting here with Jack, and I think that's the fascinating thing. He's also great. Like, he's just very, very likable. Yep. So... I don't know. I'm 100% in Jack's corner at this point. I feel like I give him a lot of the win equity. This this episode stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Like It really felt like they were doing everything they could to make Jack look good, but not too good to be obvious. Yeah. So, I, I'm sure we're going to bring up Jack a lot more, because if you think somebody else is going to inherit this, I think that's really interesting. I don't know who that's going to be. So, Let's move here to Jamal, who, to me, <laughs> is... He made, he made for a really good, like, counterpoint to Jack. Like, yes. if Jack is winning, I guess, and you want to build this, it's nice to have Jamal here, who is taking an entirely different strategy to being blindsided. And sort of, you can contrast the two. It almost feels written, eh? Like, to me, it feels... Last episode two, they lump Molly, Jack, and Jamal in just so that they can show the difference between Jack and Jamal's graceful play. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It feels crafted. It feels intentional. I feel like that's absolutely what they're saying here. And I, like I said last week, my conspiracy theory was that Jack wasn't as close to Tommy as we actually were shown in that first episode. That This completely reinforces that is just how divergent they are, because it really makes Jamal look like a total scrub, and it makes Jack look like a million bucks. Jamal had a yep. terrible episode. We see him yeah. say... He's like the... the end of the chain, where it's like Tommy and Janet are discussing taking out Jamal instead of Dan or Nora. So, not a great look. Yeah, like, with Jamal, we... We, for the first time, we see him scheming. In the last episode, he's snoring, and this one, he actually bothers to play the game. Is basically what we're told, and he's terrible at it. He gets caught immediately and turned on. Yep. It's just a, it's a very bad look, but it is interesting that Tommy connects him and Jack over and over again in his confessional to the point where I do think that there's a chance Jamal's here for a while to be the opposite of Jack. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Could just be they don't lose or whatever, but I'm just I'm curious how long we stay on these tribes. I almost wonder if it's uh David versus Goliath format again, where it'll go into three tribes of five at fifteen. I think or so. I guess I guess they did that at sixteen and Carl went to Exile Island. But I don't know. I feel like it's the Miles for Gen X where they'll split into 
three tribes. Oh, five, five, six. S. Yeah, because they had one tribe. Ikabula just had to start from scratch, so they got an extra member. That seems reasonable to me. I I hope that's what it is. I mean, it doesn't look like we're getting one next episode, so. Nope. But. Yeah. Uh, so. Like Jamal could Jamal seems to me like if I was gonna place him, he's gonna be the swap boot away from Jack. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see a lot of longevity for Jamal. Maybe like late merge. If he gets more connection to Tommy, then I think it's possible. But mm-hmm. not super likely. And like I said, he hits all the bad themes. He he speaks his mind in dumb ways, he holds grudges. I feel like all that stuff is very frowned upon in this one. Mm-hmm. Brings us to Janet, which let me predict this is your other person is inheriting yeah. Janet. Okay. Yeah. Um, I initially when I first watched, it's kind of remarkable how quickly this season has gone down to just a few contenders. So. I was sort of struggling for names. I had Karishma in there. It was a wild ride. Um, but after rewatching, I sort of thought maybe the Tommy as a Josh Canfield or a Jeremy Collins story is going towards Janet. Like that seems like a potential route. We're always seeing Tommy with Janet. They're obviously a tight duo. Janet is getting, I feel like, a lot of positive reinforcement from the edit. Obviously, she had that really strong premiere. Um, She was shown as really strong in the challenge. And just generally, it's a good edit for Janet so far. Um, But I do think think her only path to winning right now is that um, inheritance edit. Otherwise, she's just a fun character that we're probably going to lose at some point. I agree with everything you said, almost to a T. I left this episode and I was like, ooh, a bunch of people are dropping to me. I feel like this is a pretty small list of people I could see winning the game. And Janet is one of them, and I think you're right that the one path is the Natalie Anderson. I do think it's important to note, Janet's edit Mm -hmm. right now wipes the floor with Natalie Anderson's edit at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, Natalie (laughs) had a terrible premiere and not very good content until, like, episode six. So, I think it's absolutely in the realm of possibility that Janet's that kind of player. Um, I hope it's the case. It also could be the case where she's just in the finals with Jack or even Tommy, and the votes go to the other person, and unfortunately not the older female, and history repeats itself, and we cry for another season but uh i mean (laughs) that's the biggest problem is with putting like janet number one is if if chrissy can't win the game can janet win the game i don't know um yeah but beyond that i do think her edit has a good foundation i do think you're right that, that she could inherit this and but honestly i do think it's a lot more likely that she's like a lauren rimmer who's just a fun character who doesn't quite make it and she's just a fun character. I also think, hot take, there's a good chance she's just kind of invisible. And she had that really one good moment in the premiere, and she's sometimes fun and she's a good player, but doesn't actually hit the story much. 
I think she does kind of draw comparisons to Julie, where Julie really succeeded in that premiere of, oh gosh, whatever the last season was, Edge of Extinction. I just push Edge of Extinction out of my mind like it never happened. Um, but obviously that really strong moment where she's chopping the wood and talking about how she peed in Central Park. And that looked really good for her, but then we didn't get much from her because I don't think she's a constant strategic machine or a like moment machine. And I think Janet could be the same way, where she's probably not like talking gobs and gobs of strategy in confessional or discussion, but she is someone who's going to be around for a while. So Janet strikes me as the kind of person who got cast because she could. She said she could make fire without bamboo, and she was an older lady who's like fit. Like, and they're like, oh my god, we love her, Stan Queen, let's go. And then there's <laughs> to be honest, behind that is kind of the vibe I get. But we'll see what goes on from there. I hope she's great. I do want to say for Janet, I think she is one of the most capable players on this cast by a decent margin. The way she, like, when um, Tommy goes up to her, when she goes up to Tommy and she's like, oh, so people are saying, Jamal's saying this, what do you think? She's right, a- yep. She knows how to work it. You know what I mean? She says yes. She promotes the idea, but she doesn't force the idea. So no matter what, you leave the conversation thinking you're agreeing with Janet. Very mm-hmm. good instincts on Janet is what I noticed. That's not something you can teach yourself very easily. Yeah. Um, it's kind of amazing that she is maybe like the safest person on the tribe. Like I would almost say it's more likely that Lauren and Kelly start scheming and go for Tommy rather than Janet. Like she just feels so entrenched and given her archetype, that's amazing. Like I stand a queen. Absolutely. And you look at Jamal goes to her. Uh, Tommy goes to her. Dan goes to her. She's clearly in a really amazing, amazing spot. It's just right now her edit isn't backing up how amazing she's playing is my one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thing there that said, her premiere is so good that we will have to be. I, we're gonna have to break our heart every week because we consider her as an right. option. Guess on the same note, Jason is somebody that I find myself just loving, specifically in episode two, and that's it. <laughs> oh, you didn't love his one moment in this episode, the very what? first moment of the episode. There's two ways to view this. One is, oh, they wanted the audience to remember who he was and that they, he was lovely, but he didn't have anything to do in this episode. So they throw him a confessional that says, I didn't get voted out. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is, oh, God, he is Dr. Mike. Again, Dr. Mike got these same crappy confessionals where, he, like, Dr. Mike's one confessional that I'll never forget is, stay tuned, it's going to get good, where he's just saying, like, Big Brother production lines, effectively. Mm-hmm. That's what this was. Yeah. Yeah, not a good episode for Jason. And I mean, we both had this uh, fifth place sort of vanity pick, and I wish I could say mine went any better, but it didn't, so... Oh, think... give me Jason over your vanity pick. <laughs> um, Jason still might be number five. I don't know. It's a possibility. Oh, I think, let me look. Yeah, I put Jason in the not happening group. Mm, officially? Week. Yeah. <sighs> this, 
He it's need- not adding up. He needs something next episode or the, whatever the swap is. I'll give him to the swap episode to get like something real good. It can't just be episode two good. It has to be way beyond that. I would say it is too late. Like given where Jason was on this tribe and how it's gone, like he's not hitting the marks that we need. We need personal content. We need in this episode, we just need a lot more of like, how he is relating to Nora, who's apparently like a unanimous boot, kind of like just not all piecing together. I unfortunately agree. I do think there is a major problem there. If he just had a scene talking to Nora, it would be so much better. But he didn't. That dude was just a sideline for now. So... The one hope is that they just had so much stuff to deal with with this Jamal and Jack and Tommy stuff that any more Vokai content would already be excessive is the one hope. But then why are they prioritizing that over Jason's story is also bad for Jason. Maybe I just had to completely give up on mine, so I'm just like, no, yours can't work either. (laughs) Yeah, Lauren is... Oh, Lauren, I know exactly who she is and... Unfortunate. <laughs> Unfortunate. So yeah, Jason we'll see. He again needs a story restart here. And mm-hmm. I hope it comes. The one good thing for Jason, if you're gonna be generous, is that Nora went from getting voted out to not getting voted out in this episode. If you track them as yeah. a duo, good for him. Yeah. I feel like he is sort of Dr. Mike, like he sticks with the Vokai majority at Merge and just sort of ends up fizzling out. Mm. Like, yeah, you're not wrong. Somebody else who really made me sad in this episode is Kelly, my favorite here in this whole cast. And Kelly wasn't here at all, except for in the in the challenge where she did. She was like the main person in the challenge. She held like, Jason's hand. She held Jason's hand. It was really cute. She's just so she's so great, but. This was a bad episode for her. Winner chances last week, I believe I had her number two. And this was not a number two style episode. <laughs> um, it's a bad episode. It's very bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, saving I Grace. I dropped her. Oh, wait. Okay. What is the saving grace for? Oh, no, you say, why are you dropping her first? Uh, well, she just had a terrible, like, uh, UTR one episode is. Especially after uh, OTTP5. Like, how far are we talking? I dropped her to five. Okay, yeah, I think, I think that's reasonable. Because there's just not a lot of choices. Like, there's the two people I was considering from uh, Lyro, like, other than Missy. But she's definitely better than those two, I think. Um... Yeah, I just think she's lucky that they didn't go to Tribal Council, so maybe there's some saving grace. Like, the next time on looks good for her, so I'll spare her a little early pre-merge inconsistency. Uh, That's basically my pitch there, too, is last episode was so much the Kelly show. Like, she got so much content that I'm okay with this one being lesser she wasn't invisible i use the invisible rating you do not she wasn't she did talk 
She was president in the chat. Like, I do think that there's enough there that she kind of escapes the total disaster of an invisible episode. And I do think that the story they were telling here on Purple, on Bokai, was about the fallout of the last vote. And she just wasn't mm-hmm. there. So I I actually think it makes sense. Whereas for Jason, it's very bad because he was the decoy vote that he did not get to talk about that, really. Kelly, I'm okay yeah. with it. It's just a cog in the machine. Yeah, it's not like she spearheaded the vote or anything. Like Exactly. That definitely needs content if you think they're going to win. So, uh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor you. Um, that said, Kelly... I think is in a good position here because, and also the other saving grace here is that Dan pops back up. Mm-hmm. I think like it being, they both get content. Uh, Kelly gets super content. Kelly vanishes. Like when Dan gets content, she's a little bit quieter when I think that makes sense. If they're actually trying to tell a kind of sophisticated tale, they don't want to too badly remind people of the episode one incident. I think that actually makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of how I would think about it is like, if you're wanting to tell the story, you kind of weave them in and out. I think it makes sense. So, and also, I just love Kelly a lot, so I'm going to be biased. She can still win. Yeah. Like, this is not a disaster. It's just pretty bad. Yep. Well, I don't even think it's that bad. We've seen winners with really invisible pre-merge episodes it's just it's gonna knock you down from second like we've just said (laughs) it's gonna make us think eh there's better people on the board right now then next week she'll get like cpp5 and we'll be like oh no I got stan queen yeah why did we move her down with Catter? so speaking of which I think that this is I just want to hold... I'm holding a candle right now for Queen Lauren. <laughs> which now I think my least likely to win the game. Oh, come on. I have her higher than Jason still. <laughs> okay, so... She didn't get any, like, content talking about how she... Her vote orchestration worked perfectly. But, like, we know who Lauren is. So, like... I mean, they didn't go to Tribal Council. It was not good. We know who Lauren is. Yeah. She... (laughs) She did really good at the puzzle with Jamal. She... mm. We know nothing about her. We actually... We know that in the first episode, she talks about the season theme. The second episode... She kind of comes out of nowhere and makes a huge blindside, completely gets the credit for it. But you even see them showing restraint to give her too much like story credit, so they give a bunch of it to Tommy. Tommy gets to talk over uh, Lauren, even though it's clearly Lauren's move. Like You can you tell they just could not edit Lauren out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you of the sad tale of Dan Kilby in season 33 when one Michelle Fitzgerald... Or, yeah, wait. No, Michelle Schubert, sorry. Uh, one of my all-time favorites immediately from the preseason. She's just so funny. I love her. She gets an amazing episode, too, where she completely slaughters Mari Takahashi. And we don't really get to hear why beyond it's just a good game move. And then we stop hearing from her for a long, long time. 
And I think that's Lauren's fate. I think Lauren is Michelle Schubert, the dragon queen herself. I think this is a note-for-note note edit exactly, and I am so sad for Lauren because of it. Uh, I could I could deal with the merge boot spot for Lauren. Like, that's pretty prestigious. Um, it's the spot where it's like, you listen to postseason interviews, and it, and everyone's like, oh, we were so terrified of Michelle's ability to control the game that everyone just agreed she had to go. <laughs> then you watch the show, it's like, a quiet girl had to go. That's it. That's the story. Um, yep. <laughs> it's like I think Lauren is probably like that, too. It's like, people are probably going to be like, oh my gosh, she was so sweet, but she was so persuasive and strategic, and I'm glad we got her out when we did. Absolutely. So, rip Lauren. She has no story whatsoever at this point. And the worst, the worst part, the single, like, the dagger, is that she explicitly says it so that she can use Nora and Jason. And they don't no, get she doesn't use talking. Nora and Jason. Yeah, we don't see, see them talking. <laughs> <laughs> These are strangers. She just is trying to use strangers. If that happens next episode, is it too late? Um, if they make, like, a final three alliance, I'll accept it. Okay. If they talk, like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the fact that it's not here means they need, like, over-the-top hitting you in the face with a mallet. This is a close three. Okay. I'll get on the line with the Survivor editors, have them splice together some footage. Then you'll see. To me, it reads like they're going to swap away from each other. Yeah. This is the, uh, Natalia's also part of the Alec and, uh, Al- you know what I mean? Like, that, uh, that woman's thing in, uh, David vs. Goliath. It's like, oh yeah, Natalia was also there in the background. Yep. <laughs> That's what, Lauren has that all over her. It's, it's just sad. It's just sad. <laughs> so... Speaking of this uh, new Final Three that's going to come out next episode, Nora has a negative episode, but I think it was actually really good. If you're wanting, if you're a like Nora Stan, I think every week I'm a little bit higher on Nora's chance to win. She's higher than a way too many people. <laughs> Wait, what? No, um, I'm really high on Nora's chances to be a losing finalist. Okay, yeah, true. Nora's gonna uh, outlive I just don't... I guess this is it. In the improbable route that this is leading to our Nora win, like, this is actually a really good episode because it's just like, yeah, Nora's still annoying, but, like, they didn't drive it home like they did last episode. It feels like there could be redemption around the corner. I don't I mean, think that's gonna happen, but specifically told that people want to use her because she's naive mm-hmm. that's good that's she has a purpose um, oh and she could be the ultimate student and you know what i mean like maybe this is she like she's the kind of character who i'm never gonna stop believing in the possibility because the possibility for survivor to tell the story of how nora wins is my dream <laughs> And I think the foundation is there if they were to tell a kind of a complex tale of how she redeems herself. She knows she's annoying. She tries her best, but it's not what we're going to see. So, if this was okay. Australian Survivor, I would be considering Nora a lot more. Yeah. Said, for, she's for super now, fun. 
Yeah. I wish we had seen more. Like, I want to see more of Nora. I am afraid she's getting a little one note, though. Like, you can be the biggest train wreck, but you got to, like, bring more than just uh, improving camp life. That's true. And she's not the force that Natalie is. Like, mm-hmm, for sure. But yep. to me, it means that she's here for a while. I feel like they're not milking Nora. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Nora. Her story is very clear. She's annoying, but people want to use her because she's annoying, because likability is a liability. Mm-hmm. Keep around the weirdos. Stay tuned for next episode, where Lauren uses her to vote out Tommy. Tommy is the shock. Pre-merge boot. You heard it here first. Tell me about why you think that. Actually, no. Uh, I, that is not true, though I've heard it online. People are like, oh, is Tommy the Ali Elliot of this season? And oh. uh, I'm skeptical on that. I mean, if we're moving on to Tommy, it's Mr. Perfect Edit himself. Like, just... I know I had some apprehensions about episode two, but this was an excellent episode three. Just all around good, I think. Tommy's getting the, if he wins, he's the best winner of all time at it. Yeah. Which is always going to be one. I still think he's the second most likely winner. I just think it's a lot more likely this is probably a story of how Tommy gets robbed. Mm-hmm. We'll see Tommy win second chance two or whatever. I guess I did have a somewhat ridiculous reason for why this wasn't the best episode it could be for Tommy. Uh, there was during Vince's sneak into the Vokai camp. Someone has a bad dream and on the live watch I'm like, wow, this is weird. And then I forgot about it. And on the rewatch I saw it again I was like, I still don't know who that is. So I did some research and it's apparently Tommy which I wasn't expecting at all. And then my brain put on its little tinfoil hat and was like, why didn't they give Tommy a nice confessional detailing like his bad dreams and like how he struggles with them? Like, why didn't they make this sympathetic? Tommy not winning the alley alley of this season. There you go. (laughs) Okay, so I actually want to touch on two things. First, I want to address your point. I think you couldn't tell who the heck it was. So that's why I don't think it's a, like, I agree. If if it was more clear that it was Tommy having the bad dream, this would be the kind of foreshadowing thing you do see them do. Mm -hmm. But I think this is actually a case where he probably was just having a bad dream when Vince was nearby. And so they had to kind of show it. It's good content. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it wasn't like, oh, it's Tommy, Tommy, are you okay? Or anything like that said, to me, completely exonerates that point. Yeah. And then all the other content is just about how amazing Tommy is. And like, yeah. it's just very, it's a very scary scene. Like, something I guess I didn't think about before, but like, you have to sleep by all these people who like have these, like, they're probably talking in their sleep and all sorts of stuff. And you have to, like, really restless people right like it's very wild yeah and he was shrieking like he was in terror so i was like nuts my like number one guest was like nora i was like (laughs) 
I also took it as Nora because I heard her voice right after. Mm-hmm. Like she soothes them, I guess. Um, but I guess it was Tommy. So that's something to note. But I do want to touch on the idea of the shock pre-merge boot or the Ali Elliot edit. This is not Tommy's edit. This is Ali Elliot and Tommy have no edit similarities at all. Other than the fact that they're, they're constantly complex, um, I think that there is a huge difference between the shock pre-merge one, kind of like what we were talking about with War Dog last season, where he's getting content at the wrong times to be complex. Tommy is not getting that. Tommy's getting the perfectly placed content. Ali yeah. Elliot, all her content, like her first confessional, is and we like that was our the first. Oh no, this was the season before we did it. Um, but I was so gung ho everywhere about how Elliot Elliot can't win from like minute one because her first confessional is talking about how the hustler tribe is doomed. Winners don't talk mm-hmm. about how they're doomed and how storm clouds are over top of them and. All of Ali Elliot and most of these shock pre-merge people that people always get hooked on have the same kind of pattern where they there's always a doomsday port like reading of their confessionals. Like if you just read them, it reads like a bad thing is happening. And they're just really complex, but without relationships or without um sort of explanations. Yeah. Tommy's not that. Tommy is so much more like a Rick Devins or a David Wright or something. Like that's that's the role he's in. He's not in the shock pre-merge boot. I don't think. Like he's not. If he is a pre-merge boot, it's not in the same way that Ali Elliot is a pre-merge boot. Yeah, I think the really defining thing about Ali was that she got a lot of like game content, but didn't lose personal content or really strong relationships, and that's what doomed her. Whereas Tommy obviously has that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if Tommy in the next episode bonds really well with... Like, I think him and Molly were kept separate. If Jamal had been voted out instead of Molly, maybe then I'd buy that. Because that was the thing with Allie is she'd say, oh my god, I love Patrick. We know each other in real life. Blah, 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 blah. We're close. And then she'd vote him out and it'd not be explained. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas we get Tommy meticulously going through why he doesn't know if he should flip on Molly, who he's never spoken to on the screen yet. That is a huge difference. Yep. Which, again, is why I think I have Jack above Tommy. I feel like I might regret that. They're so close for me. It's just... Jack just kind of sneaks out there for me, just because Tommy could more likely be... Tommy could be more things than Jack could. Yeah, Tommy just feels too perfect. And it's even like... We sort of talk about the Wendell where he had such a strong premiere and then later episodes cause him to fall. In Tommy's case, it's like the episodes have continued to be so good that it makes me really suspicious. Like, it's too good. Like, something's amiss here. And I don't think yeah. it's a pre-merge shock boot, but I, I don't know. I still have a number two. Like, it's just that good of an edit, but... I'm suspicious. That's the thing is, very rarely do they give people this much good content. It's all he gets to. You know what I mean? Like, he literally yep. just gets the winnery stuff and then nothing else. Yeah. Which I think it's very interesting. Um, it, he almost feels like a troll to me. Like, <laughs> if the editors care about Edgic, but they do not at all. 
he's the troll. But again, it is so good and its story is so clear. To me, it's super likely he's the he's the fallen angel. He's the Rob Sesternino. He's like, that's that's what I think he is. Is it so Jack cuts him at the last minute and reaps mm-hmm. the benefits. Like that's the vibe I get from Tommy's edit. But that just still gives him so much win equity that I can't not have him here. I don't know. Yeah. And I do think he is going to be the main character. Forever. Um, I don't know. I was going to say, as you're winding up on Tommy, I was going to be like, uh, look forward to me like pointing out every little like inconsistency and flaw. And I think it has the tendency where it can go like down a Lauren or a Kara route where it's good content on the surface but there's weirdnesses about it that pop up and I think you just sort of see you've seen those characters like diminish in importance and I feel like there's a lot of room for other characters to rise to the top here and I'm kind of wondering if Tommy might do that as well but I think he's like he has more content now than Lauren had, in, like the pre-merch. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think this is a different thing. Yeah. There. Um, I agree. If anything, he could be more like a Ryan. Yeah, that's true. He, it's the same thing where he's super complex and then he just stops being complex and they never turn him negative, but they just <laughs> take away his complexity and then people get really annoyed with him. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an editing trick that I think. That's the most likely Tommy lose, I think. Mm-hmm. They but just even make then, his sidekick better. Even then, it feels like, I guess, kind of without Tommy in play, even if he's not the main character, when he, he needs to be in play for the way the sort of season is going down as we predict it, with this strong Vokai presence and core. He just feels so a part of that. Agreed. Like, to me, he's... There's a possibility this is the Master Yoda edit. You know what I mean? Like the Mr. Miyagi teaches young Jack, Tommy teaches young Jack or whatever to be a good survivor player, but isn't there for the final act or whatever. I think that's in the realm of possibility for Tommy, but I still think that means that the ghost of Tommy, Force Ghost, has a very important role to play in the season as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, right. very similar to Jeremy or whatever in uh, Sam Wilson. Yeah. My prediction would be more it's like a at the end of the game backstab is more what I would in this particular story. Hmm. But that's good on Tommy, I think. We'll move here to the Lyro tribe, which I thought was startlingly uncomplex for going to tribal. Yeah, after like going through Vokai, like looking at this list for Lyro, they just feel like a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> like it's all these very like Odd characters, like, yeah, what a what a laundry list we have to go down here. So <laughs> we start as we always do here with the Lyra tribe with Aaron King of talking an insane amount and not having anything <laughs> that I can yes. remember. Uh, more consistent, more edit, perfect narrator, not winning. But like, I've got my eye on you, Aaron. What's going on here? Something there. Like, 
he's gonna build into something, right? Yeah. You can't just be super middle of the road forever, right? Mm. Right? I think he could be that, but it's just... I don't know. He He's really shocking, where he... If you look at the visibility, like, how much people talked in an episode, he's the third most visible in this episode. Mm-hmm. Judging by your count, he's... There's two fives in Vince and Jamal. Or, sorry, in Karishma. And then, then it's Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's wild. How? What did he talk about? He talked about the girls' alliance. And nothing about himself at all. Just, yeah, he's very surface. It's like, he's the figurehead for, like, the surface level politics of the Lyro tribe, where it's this girls versus guys divide, um, details the split vote, just, and who their intended target is, and all that. It just doesn't feel like original thoughts. It doesn't feel like he's playing for himself, almost. It feels like this is how things are going. Yeah, he's like the hired narrator. It's just a mm-hmm. third-party guy here to sum up what's going on. That said, I, I mean, almost think this he's sort of in this weird spot as like an alpha male archetype on this tribe that is now dominated by a girls alliance and then the other men on the tribe really don't fit into that stereotype as much i guess you could say dean does but like dean has been missing so i think they're just trying to struggle with where to fit aaron in He's clearly important. I think he's going far. I think. Mm-hmm. He, he, okay, he's the biggest question mark to me, I think, of everybody. Because, again, thinking, how much he's getting. If, if there's a shock pre-merge boot, maybe it's Aaron. But it's like, it doesn't really feel like a shock, though. Like, oh. it just feels like that's what the Girls Alliance is going to do. Like, they're going to get to a point where they have to get rid of Aaron. And it's like, whoa, the big, like, physical asset of Lyro, they can't do that. But that's not really a shock to me, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I guess watch for him in the swap. The weirdest thing to me is he has no story. Mm -hmm. His story, I guess, is I was overconfident in the start and was blindsided and then lashed out and it didn't matter. It's just... Almost Troisiani to me, like in one world. Is he just going to be the voice against the majority, but like a really boring majority? Hmm. I mean, like, <laughs> he's not a particular, like, he's not an underdog or anything, but he's kind of an audience surrogate. Yeah. Yeah, they're not really like making him rootable. Like, oh. I don't know. It's just. And, like, all the talk is, like, these four boys kept coming together and being like, if there's a girls' alliance, we need to get together, which, A, they're always talking about there being maybe a girls' alliance, which there obviously is. It just seems so obvious even to them at this point. And then, like, what are they doing where they only have, like, 
four people. Like, what is their plan? It just, it doesn't make sense. I agree. I absolutely. <laughs> His edit is a, it's a, an enigma to me. Do not understand it. Maybe we'll get some clarity. It could be that they're just trying to buy his time because he is a big character. He could be our Joey Amazing. Like, that's possible. Mm-hmm. But you think he could hear like, that he loves his kids or something. Yeah, um, especially if he's trying to, like, live out this Girls Alliance. Mm. Which, I don't know. Oh, I guess that's Aaron. I, I don't know. We'll move <laughs> here to Chelsea, who, in my opinion, is the shock pre-merge boot, I think. I'm 100% sure on this at this point. She looks uh, and quacks like a shock pre-merge boot. <laughs> uh, I heard she is a top-tier winner contender. Like, we stand Chelsea. What a winner. Yeah, she's... Yeah, absolutely. Like, she's gonna <laughs> leave pre-merge. I'm calling out. Um, yeah, just like... It makes so much sense that people are seeing Chelsea as a winner contender because her content feels good in that sort of way, but it's it's really the stuff that's not adding up right now. It's, she doesn't... Because, like, Missy is obviously the strategic, like, head of the Girls' Alliance, but then Chelsea is, like, almost, so- like, the rootable part of it, I feel. Like, she feels fun to some extent and all that but it's not adding up. There's not enough there. We can't forget her dreadful premiere where she told us the theme of the season four times. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not all piecing together. At Chelsea, it, I, I just can't say it enough. This is the person that if you're looking for your Lauren or whatever, this is the, that person yeah. where they get the theoretically good content but you think about it for two seconds and she didn't say anything like um mm-hmm. it's and I feel like they do this all the time is they give people like the fun content and then they're like oh look even they can go it's a fun thing that they like to do and every season it seems like everybody falls for it I think there's no chance Chelsea's our winner I'll stick my claim there um like actually I mean- zero I have her fairly high, but that's mostly a process of elimination. Like, Chelsea, it's like, oh, I guess her edgic bar looks good, and I've liked her content, but it's not like... I think if there ever came a point where Chelsea somehow, like, was by elimination in my top five, I'd be like, maybe it's better just not to put her on, because it doesn't feel right. You know how I was talking earlier about how Ellie Elliot got all this content about being doomed? Remember in the premiere when Chelsea kept talking about how idols make her really paranoid? Mm-hmm. Constantly? And then, like, she literally said it four times. Um, that's her story. Idols make her paranoid and she has an idol that she didn't mention in this episode. Homegirl it looked sweaty. I don't know. Um, I, I think, like... I stake my claim. She's leaving. If she's not pre-merged, she's the shock early boot. It's like, she's, that's her role here. She's the second act kicking off. Hmm. Um, yeah, like, I just, for me, there's nothing. We know nothing about her. We don't really know who she's close to. Yeah. She's the bad at it. I mean, 
that all being said, I just really like her as like a weird character. Like she's kind of fun. Like I want her to win to some extent. Maybe that's why she's kind of creeping up there on my winner contenders list. But yeah. Edits to me is a fusion of Kellen and Ellie Elliott. So take that as you will. I don't think there's a meaningful difference there. Like they have the negativity without the N rating. And I think that's yeah, the word. Well, I don't know if I see quite that much, but one wasn't this bad yet. Just mm-hmm. just wait. Just wait. <laughs> Speaking of negativity, we have our boy Dean, who what a breakout episode. Last week, I'm so glad we oh devoted that 10 minutes or whatever to talk about Dean because he so made up for it in this episode. He's so funny, so lovely. As an infamous man once said, where's Dean? I really loved my Twitter joke about the winners at a uh, true crime podcast about the disappearance of Dean Kowalski. Like, I think that's really good. Um, but yeah, what a fun, funnish. I mean... There were funny moments associated with Dean, but I still don't think I really like Dean as a character. Like, I think if he talked anymore, I'd probably not like him. Like, yes. I thought he wasn't too strategic here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I want to be <laughs> clear that this mocking of Dean that the editors did was very funny. Mm-hmm. But Dean clearly... This episode, more than anything, shows why this man is being invisible. His confessional was so uncomfortable. It was <laughs> long and droning and like he's not very articulate. Mm-hmm. He can't get his like point across very well, um, which made it very funny because of the situation. But this is not someone you want to hear about, like his like regular tribal friends. He's the anti Aaron, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Aaron makes uh, sophisticated stuff seem very mundane, and Dean makes interesting stuff seem co- like, or sorry, mundane stuff seem very strange and confusing. <laughs> he's he's still such a mystery, though, as to where he's going in this season. Like maybe next, uh, maybe for a while. I don't know. Lock him in as our. Shoot, I'm forgetting her name. Is it Angela or is it what's the other girl? Aurora. Aurora. Angela is the one who went like invisible, invisible, huge episode, right? Oh yeah, yes. Angela. He's Angela. I think Angela from Ghost Island, the Slug Queen herself, where she doesn't do anything interesting other than deep throat the slug. But this is your deep throat the slug character, where interesting things happen to them and then they mm-hmm. pop up. And when nothing interesting happens to them, they don't show up at all. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think it can maintain the same pattern because we have the Chelsea Dean showmans coming up. Which yeah. I'm kind of excited for for Chelsea. I mean, I feel like it's not going to end well and they're going to cut Dean. Or maybe Chelsea. I don't know. But... Your fingers, Chelsea stands. I think that that Dean highlight video is real bad for Chelsea. Because, <laughs> I mean, at this well, at this point, the Girls Alliance could be like, well, we do still have the numbers if we cut one of our own, but then, like, get rid of Karishma. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe crazy things are afoot. Mm-hmm. Like, Dean, could, like, that's the thing. Dean could leave next easy. Dean mm-hmm. could leave. Wait, merge. Uh, yeah. Both 
seem fine to me. Still, he still doesn't have a story other than he's a bozo. Now we officially know he can't win. <laughs> I mean, he's still at the bottom of my list. Oh. Like, but yeah, and it's even now that the mystery sort of figured out, I kind of want him to go sooner. Like, I, I'm done with the Dean mystery. Uh, make ways for new mysteries. Almost got a little bit too much in this episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like if you, you would have given him just the confessional, like, just the uh, split the vote thing at the start of the episode and then not talk again, I think the mystery stayed alive. While that uh, voting confessional was amazing, it also ended his story for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, you, you've <laughs> wrapped your entire arc. Oh, my theory here, by the way, I just I'm gonna put this out there. Dean's gonna leave from Chelsea's idol uh, vote split plan. Mm. I think sophisticated. I'll, I I I I honestly think that that's why this got so much content. I think we're gonna see either Chelsea idol herself out with Dean, like it was a split vote thing, or Chelsea idol Dean out by accident. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's what we're gonna see. That would be really fun. Stick that flag in there. Next up, we'll go with Elaine, who is soon to be having less content than Dean. Yes, like, let's... I'm ready for the mystery of Elaine now. Ah. Season one of our podcast covered Dean. I'm ready for Elaine. What happened to this OTTP5 queen from episode one? Ah, I really don't know. In this episode, she performed a beautiful back-to-belly suplex. Um, other than that, she did basically nothing. <laughs> Why? I guess we kind of saw that she likes Tom. Yeah. I mean, we saw that. Like, Elizabeth had to tell us, which... Gosh, this tribe is just bizarre. Like, we're hearing things from other people that like, we shouldn't hear. We should just hear it straight from the source. I had just no idea what's going on. I mean, this is another episode of Elaine being quiet. Last episode, we were like, oh, they just didn't go to tribal, and they're not the complex tribe. So, yeah, maybe they're just saving Elaine for when it matters. But in this episode, she doesn't matter. She's just not relevant. She's not a target anymore. Like, her likability is no longer a liability, apparently. She's, like, cozy within the Girls' Alliance. She's no longer with Vince at all. Yeah. Um, she, uh, it doesn't make sense. This is, th- her, to me, is the sign, like I said earlier, that I'm worried for this season. This should not be happening. Mm-hmm. Sloppy. Yeah. She might be, like, a reverse Angela, where... She started with a good big episode, now she's at her two small ones. But I feel like she could be the same way, where stuff happens to her and around her, and she gets big moments, but otherwise she's not important. Yeah, like, I'm even looking like Lauren Remmer had a quiet premiere and built. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what we're seeing here at all. It's like... Dump everything you ever need to know about this person at the start, and then <laughs> vanish. It's kind of like Nick, to be honest. If you're gonna draw it to like a recent winner, 
But mm-hmm. like Nick was still there in the next episodes. He was just I mean, yeah, he had I was saved. Yeah. Yeah. So that it didn't really count. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a bad comparison. That's the thing, like any good edit that's like this has the thank God I'm still here, thank the heavens, like Yep. It's, I don't know. I I I feel like she is probably just Donathan mm-hmm. and <laughs> that's it. Like yeah. maybe <laughs> her premiere is still so good that if she has amazing content from here on, I'll accept it. But it's real close to the, that line. Oh no, she is like right above Dean for me, and yet somehow still below Nora. So mm. Elena's very dead to me. Uh, on it, like, I think I would have her below Nora. <laughs> That's sad. Oof. Yeah, like poor Elaine. Like she doesn't even have a story anymore. Like it kind of ended. It's just she's yeah. so likable. If she makes the end, she wins. She feels like maybe she's a swap boot, like yeah, gets in a minority and just goes. Mm. What I want to see? No, this isn't even a good comparison. I think maybe Stephanie Johnson, but no, Stephanie Johnson was visible the whole time. Yep. Um. Yeah, like there's, I I, I can't think of somebody that has this kind of thing. Um. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know where she's going to place, but you're right. Like, a swap boot actually makes a lot of sense. Or, like, merge boot, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Poor Elaine. Like, it seems like she's still given the content. I mean, she's given all the girl suplexes. <laughs> like, yo, if there's a wrestling fan, like, if she is a wrestling fan and I don't love her right now, do something wrong. Uh, CBS? Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> okay. Uh, next person I'm very excited to talk about is Elizabeth. I've been wanting to talk about her this whole time. I think mm. Elizabeth, after episode one, I um, had her a 0% chance to win. Right now? Oh, after episode one. Okay. And I, I felt like the internet was very high on Elizabeth. And I was like, okay. no chance. This is a garbage edit. She just like narrated this thing with no vote. I now mm. think she's the second most likely person on Lyra to win. Be third. <laughs> like she's um, above like four people. I mean, that really. She's my third lowest on Lyro, but I don't know. I'm just I'm. I think I'm really far off the Elizabeth train at this point. Like that premiere pretty much sealed the deal for me. Um. And I know when I get that way, I tend to take focus off. I guess that being said, this was kind of a good episode for Elizabeth. Um, it didn't really quite add all the pieces I needed back in to throw her back in the mix. But um, she's no longer down there with Dean and Elaine and stuff. So I think I'll turn the floor over to you so you can convince me about her. Okay, my take with Elizabeth would be... Maybe she's just a, that bad of a player, and this is them dressing it up. Like, I, like actually though, like, okay, we like like really roasted her for lying, but oh, okay. At this point, it's very obvious they're not allowed to tell what's happening on Island of Idols, so that's why she lied. Um, and then she gets to narrate the entire Ronnie boot. Like, maybe this, like to me, I'm trying to think. 
all this stuff. I'm go- going back. I'm like, why did she narrate that? Like, what? And then she gets like great content. Oh, like we know more about her than basically the entire Lyro tribe. We know she's an Olympian. She loves. She says she loves Survivor. Um, is this them dressing up like, like to use a turn of phrase, like dressing, like putting makeup on a pig? I think it might be. Um, I feel like they're trying to make her look way better than she is. This episode was very good. Where we, she's now talking for Elaine. Um, we get to see. We know her and Missy are very close individually from episode one. Mm-hmm. She has relationships. She has personal content. She has all kinds of stuff. The only thing lacking for me is that she clearly doesn't know what she's doing. But that's not the edit. I think she's just bad. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. bad people win the game of Survivor. Yeah. Um. Can you... Do you feel like it's enough to reconcile her bad episode two? Mm, she was basically just not there episode two, mm-hmm. which is bad. So, no. Like, to be clear, I still have her pretty low. Yeah, um, I was going to say, probably second high on Lyro isn't probably that high in the scheme of things. Yes, yeah, so I, like, I feel like that's more of an indictment on Lyro. Like, yeah. Missy is absolutely the clear, clear number one, I feel like, on Lyro. After that, for me, it's between. <laughs> oh God, it's between Elizabeth and Krishma. No, it's Tom. It's Tom. It's it's Tom, Missy, or Elizabeth to me. I don't think anybody else is believable mm-hmm. in the slightest. And I think Elizabeth might be below Tom or above Tom. I'm not 100 percent sure, but yeah, yeah, I actually think that's about right. She's a reliable narrator. What she says happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another thing with Chelsea. Yo, like people thinking she's gonna win. She went into tribal pitching about how she want how bad she wants Vince to stay. So she's not winning. <laughs> that's Chelsea. Mm. But um, yeah, no, like Elizabeth. This was a fine episode. She and I think the biggest thing is that we see if you're just going with like edit logic, she saved Tom. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think... I feel like she only got a big first episode because she was the first person to go to Island of the Idols. And that might give her some credit moving forward that she really doesn't deserve in my eyes and the ways I've dismissed her episode one plus her invisible-ish episode two I don't think there's a chance where Elizabeth ever comes back for me for me it's just it's recoloring the first episode is maybe it's not bad maybe she's just a bad player like I think that to me is possible like um it almost like I'm trying to look back quickly at Jamaraska's edit and I can kind of see a similarity here where it's just like this hard middle road first episode, like Jenna Maraska's first episode is how she's a pretty girl and they do bad and survivor. And she's going to prove that they're more fun than they seem. It, it's just very scatterbrained and all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the vibe I'm getting here with Elizabeth is like, they're trying to make her have a story, but 
she doesn't really have one, but they're trying. And the fact that to me that it looks like they're trying really hard to make her like a main character is enough to put her above a lot of people. Mm. I I'm mostly unconvinced, but I have her above Nora, so it's good. That's good. So above I, Elaine. Yeah, we're just sort of detailing the bottom of my list, as you can imagine, with this Lyro crew. So uh, Yeah. <laughs> So next up we have Karishma. Oh man. What an episode. Yeah, like <laughs> just bizarre. Like, first off, I almost wanted to give like the entire rest of the Lyro tribe like negativity for that scene with her just like kneeling off to the side. Because a lot of this episode felt like it was portrayed very positively towards Karishma. Like this tribe really doesn't care about me. Like, here's, like, video evidence. And then at times you just kind of felt like she was causing her own problems. I couldn't figure it out. Honestly, like, it was treated so bizarrely where we see this girl, like, on the first watch, I was like, oh, Krishma overreacted or something, right? But Mm -hmm. you actually see her cut her hand and she's actually surrounded by them. And they see her bleeding. Like, they mm-hmm. reference it. And just nothing happens. Yeah. I feel like you're right. I think this is... That cut is, like, the most glowing indictment on the Lyro tribe, other than their terrible edits. Like, <laughs> it's so bad. Like, yeah. they look like dicks. <laughs> Especially when so, it... I don't know. So I guess my first watch, as the like episode was winding down, and you would just have this sort of bizarre episode for her, because she had a middle-of-the-road premiere, was just as quiet as Elizabeth in the second episode. And then this happens, I'm kind of like, well, Karishma's either going home or she wins, maybe. And so on the first watch, I had her like as my fifth contender. Because it just felt like, I don't know what's going on. This this seems right. And then on the rewatch, I was like, I still don't think this is how you paint someone who is winning. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, maybe. If she flips on her tribe and it's a Pagonging against old Lyro, except Karishma and Vokai, that's 100% possible. Mm -hmm. Um. And, like, even her first episode's all about how she's going to come in. She's going to be cool, calm, and collected Krishma because she can be a lot, but she's going to do her best to fit in. And then it's like, oh, these people mm. are going into her. I don't know. I think mm. it's one thing, though, is, like, we do see her go. It's almost too far where you see. I feel like it peeled back. If, if this is Krishma winning, I feel like they peeled back to Kurt a little bit too much to show. Is she, like, obnoxious? Like, I feel like on the beach, there's got to be a good reason why these people are like, oh, Krishma again. She might just be exhausting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like we saw that in Vince's scene with her where she's, like, whining about her place in the game and then, like, doesn't give Vince a name when he requests it. Like, 
that's where it kind of feels like. That's why she's a CP mixed this episode. It's because it feels like she's bringing some of this on herself. Feels like she's bringing a lot of it on herself, mm-hmm. but also that it's unfair. Because it's such a bizarre treatment where, like, I think the thing that's the most confusing is that she puts her hand up in the confessional and she's like, this isn't a big deal. But the fact that they didn't means they don't care. I could have chopped my head off and they wouldn't care. And it cuts to them laughing as she's, like, on the ground. Yeah. Like, it justifies that, yeah, these people are horrible. Mm-hmm. But also that Krishma's an exaggerator. Oh, like, at Tribal, she calls them a sorority girls. Mm-hmm. There's two ways to view it. It's either Karishma's our underdog hero who's getting bullied, and the girls' alliance are bad guys. Or it's just mixed. They're both kind of dicks to each other. And I think that's <laughs> what they're saying, honestly. Yeah. They're saying Karishma's a lot, so she kind of rubs off badly on the girls' group. I don't think this girl group is positive at all anymore. <laughs> I I don't think the girls group is specifically negative. I just think that hand cut scene is such a bad look for all of Lyro. Mm. And it's just... I don't know. Don't even see medical come out, you know what I mean? Like, that's a bizarre thing. Yeah. R- rarely do you just see someone all of a sudden have a cast. <laughs> like... Yeah. It's edited very strangely, and it felt like it was... To me, it felt like they have a plan here. Like, they're cutting... Normally, you see Medical run in, and she'll be like, Oh my god, I see the bone! Uh. Mm-hmm. And, like, you see, like, a whole ordeal. That didn't happen. There's a reason for that. Like, they... There's some storytelling purpose why that didn't happen, but I, I can't figure it out. Yeah. Something we have to like really pay attention to because I think you blink a little bit too much and Crush was your winner and you didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. I like I don't know. It's very weird episode, especially with her flopping and almost going home. This is the episode to have her be this really mixed character. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, like she is the biggest wait and see because you're right. Her story's either like she's terrible at the game and getting voted out. She's not a Cole or it's not that it's yeah. I honestly feel like it presents it 50 50. Oh yeah. Cause like there's scenes where she's like, I feel so ostracized. I'm like, so I'm like an older woman. And then like, you remember that you have laid on this tribe who is older than her Tom yeah it's already like a tribe of like not like fit survivor types already so it just feels like a series of contradictions for Karishma not to mention it but like Karishma looks young she doesn't look old to the audience I don't think like I don't like if you told me she's 25 I'd buy it 24 or whatever She's 36, which is older, but she looks young. She has, like, a young face. Sure. Um, so it it is a little weird. And I think the biggest thing is you do see multiple people. Like, Tom, who's not next, but is the one after, is shown to be a reliable narrator. 
in every episode. I think that's one thing that's very consistent is anything Tom says has happened. Tom says at Tribal, don't worry about her. She's just trying to cause stuff again. Mm -hmm. I think there's a way more negative. I think, I guess this is my thing is, is Kareshma's edit what Nora looks like if Nora wins? Mm. Are they this is the same thing happening here. Are they both obnoxious in like tribe menaces, and one of them just getting kind of like weirdly dressed up? I don't know because I feel like you revisit that hand cut scene, and even if they don't go to her, like you have to have some way to make that group look more positive. Surely someone asked about her cast, like her bandaging. Oh, like I mean, there was like these like offhand like almost cares about her condition, but like they just made no attempt for like anyone to be like explaining how they why they treated her the way they did, and it's just like. I don't know. I, the I only really... one who shows any compassion to her is Vince, who gets voted out this episode. Mm-hmm. It's very bizarre. And yeah. also, like, it almost to me was presented in the episode as she was insane for thinking they were splitting the votes on her, and then they did split the votes on her. What do you mean? So when Dean does the... Uh, split the vote thing in front of everybody. Kurishma gets a co- confessional right after saying, right when Dean said that, I knew they were splitting the votes on me. And in that moment, mm-hmm. I thought we were supposed to think, that's insane, why would you think that? You and the girls' alliance. Oh, I and didn't. It actually happens. I thought, I didn't think that. I thought this was a really interesting situation where, yeah, the girls have this majority alliance, but because their main target has gone to the Island of the Idols, it's possible they have an idol. So they have to sort of work within the bounds of this men alliance who are going to target a girl. I think it was just a really sort of underrated, interesting, strategic like moment of this. But I totally thought, like, oh yeah, Krishna is getting those votes, and that makes total sense. Okay. Maybe, like, that's the thing, is, like, I don't get what they're actually trying to say here. They're trying to say something. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, maybe I'm just not going to figure it out. Maybe it's just not developed yet. I don't know. It's definitely something, like, the problem is, with this, we're going to know. If if it's a bad thing, we're going to know, because she's going to get voted out soon. She's in mm-hmm. a lot of current danger. It's just... Yeah, it kind of feels like, like I said... Uh, the girls' alliance is now in that position where they can vote out one of their own and still have majority. I was kind of wondering if that's where next episode is leading. Like, hmm. Krishna is just such a liability that they vote her out. Eve, but, I mean, okay, so even... So in this episode, she says her tribe is dead to her. And we kind of see that justified, in my opinion. In the first episode, her content is actually all about post-tribal, how she made the girls' alliance, but... She really likes the guys, and so she's kind of caught in the middle, and she doesn't know what to do. Her whole, her kind of all along has been about being a flipper. 
I mm-hmm. think she's gonna get her. I think she's gonna get her chance to flip on them. Hmm. Maybe she flips to the guys. I don't know. Mm. I Something just like <laughs> possibility. That's just so weird to think that she could be the flipper when, like, they all voted for her. So <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Uh, I don't know. Mm. She was very interesting. Yeah. After that second episode, I wasn't expecting this Mm. from her. That is definitely fair. Which brings us here to Missy, who Mm -hmm. easily the number one of (laughs) Flyro. I think the only actually viable winner. And I mean, after discussing Karishma and like the hand cut scene, like she doesn't even feel that good anymore. Like it wasn't even that like. Uh, in any way generous towards her in terms of that. She just feels like the strategic figurehead of Lyro as a whole. Missy actually gets one of the most uh, like um, obvious she sees it moments in that whole montage that she clearly Mm -hmm. sees Karishma's hand cut and she says something like she says a joke like, just a, a separate to that. So she's honestly one of the people who I feel like looks the worst for this. And, <laughs> like, that's horrible. Um, uh, am I... Do I... Is Tom really the person I have number one here? I don't know. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to do that because otherwise Missy looks, like, easily the best. Like, Yeah, but they do that, I think. Even if it's a confessional saying, everybody was mean to Karishma, and I kind of joined in because it's advantageous or something. Karishma right. can be a lot. But I, it does suck when people get hurt. Surely she said something like that. Mm-hmm. That you could dress I up guess, to be okay. Really, there's no interaction between Missy and Karishma over this episode. Which is bizarre because Missy is sort of like the main character and then Krishma, this is her main character episode and they just sort of do their separate things all throughout the episode. They don't even interact when Krishma talks about the sorority at tribal council. Yeah. And that, that's a bad sign for Missy. I feel I just, Uh, I'm just hesitant to drop Missy because that is like dropping all of Lyro and, it feels like a very singular path that we're seeing develop mm-hmm. in this. Missy gives me a lot of Victoria vibes where, okay, she's the best player. <laughs> that doesn't mean, The best player doesn't win in Survivor almost ever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's the thing with Missy is if she wins, I will be so happy because honestly, something like, like, Complex Tribe Theory being wrong or whatever would be awesome, I think, for Survivor. Opens up a whole bunch more people. Yeah. And honestly, with Missy, she's very fun. She's very interesting. She's clearly a hard player. So, it'd be really good. Yeah, she's on the wrong tribe, and she kind of looked like a jerk in this episode. And we still don't... like. We I guess we do know a lot about her from the premiere. Mm-hmm. I guess, but it was almost like 
like the opening confessional you get when they're on the truck or the boat or whatever, like that sort of stuff. It was like given and gone. Like we've not really had stuff linked back to that for Missy. Why does she want a girls' alliance? Is she a feminist icon? Does she hate <laughs> women and think they're controllable? Like, like why? What's the reasoning? We don't know. She just wanted to have a girls' alliance. She's tired of them getting voted out first, mm-hmm. is what they say. Yeah, but that's already happened. Like, like I, you know what I mean? Like. It's just a little uh, awkward. Like she doesn't have much of a story here. Yeah, she... I think. Yeah, I think I'm just like off the Missy train now. Like I kind of want to be bold and be like, Missy's not winning this. Like she looks good in some ways, but it's not right. It's not adding up. <laughs> Honestly, I came into this. I think having her on my. I think I had her. I had her number four. I think just for not abandoning Lyro. But... Yeah. <laughs> I think I have to abandon Lyro, honestly. Like, thinking, talking about this charisma thing, it's actually so much of a bigger deal than I thought. Like, are you really going to show your winner let, like, a girl just bleed her hand out and not, like, not even throw shade at her? You know what I mean? Like, okay. I feel like, you could, like if Nora cuts her hand and people are like, oh... She does something stupid again. <laughs> like, that would make sense. It's they like do anything to Karishma. Yeah, that was built in. Like, oh, Nora, like, working so hard. Like, but. It works so hard to cut herself. Ha yeah, ha ha. Karishma, like, had nothing leading up to that. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, I think this is, this is the magic of the Winners Edit podcast. I think we're both saying. Yeah, Missy looked really good, and I think a lot of people are talking about her as a winner contender, and she has some of the right aspects, but... And we're here to tell you, you're wrong. You <laughs> feel bad for thinking... No. I, I think I agree, though. Like, thinking about this, it's like when Homer Simpson falls down a plank of stairs, and, like, there's, like, you know what I mean? Like, he, he trips and falls, and it looks really... Like, he falls off a building at the window or whatever down the stairs... You can sit there and laugh and be like, oh, haha, like the guy who tripped him, whatever. It's a goofy thing. But then when your grand, like when your grandmother falls down this, like, like a smaller flight of stairs, it, you're like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. When Nora does something goofy because she's been set up as a cartoonish character, you can laugh it off and understand people being mean to her. They've presented Krishma at face value. <laughs> if anything, pretty sympathetic. And she's the one who they're using as the cipher. It's real bad for all the people around. Mm-hmm. It matters whose lens we're seeing this through. Krishma's not a cartoon character. She's not exaggerated or goofy or anything. She's just a person. It's terrible for Missy that a regular person just got cut mm-hmm. to the bone. And she's, like, cracking jokes behind them. Like, a terrible look. Yeah. I mean, separate to that, she didn't get any good content outside of that in this episode. Yeah, it wasn't really, like, a strong... Like, she was kind of the one discussing how the moves would play out, but it wasn't really anything memorable. And I think, I mean, we left right before Tribal Council with Chelsea as sort of the, like, decision-maker. Which... (laughs) So, 
And Missy's another person who did not want to vote out Vince. Like, she got outvoted here. She's our strategic mm-hmm. force, and she tells us she doesn't want to do Vince. She wants to yeah. do Tom. <laughs> we don't see them talking out. And Elizabeth I think... votes her. Mm-hmm. I think... I may be wrong on this, but Missy has not had questions at Tribal Council yet. Mm, that sounds no. wrong, but... I feel like someone was bringing that up, and tribal sort of, yeah, that's always sort of a weird thing, but something to latch on to, I guess. Yeah, normally I'm a lot more. uh, I've paid a lot more attention to tribal council questions in past seasons. This one I'm not, just because I'm feeling these tribal councils this season. Tell me if I'm wrong. Like, have been so weird where half of it feels like it's just Robin Sandra, and there's not really. It doesn't feel like a tribal council. Mm. I wouldn't say that's the problem. It just feels like it's there's no revelation really at tribal council. It feels like it feels like it's just replaying what we already know. Mm. Like so many questions were devoted to Elaine at the first tribal council, Elaine being who she was. And we reiterated like Ronnie was this schemey person. And then years at the next one, and yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. that's where it's that's where it's kind of falling flat. Puzzles at this one, like tribe strength at this one, like mm-hmm. they've been pretty boring tribals, I guess. So I haven't paid as much attention there, which is my bad. But yeah, I, that seems right. I feel like I haven't really heard her there. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's a big old distraction. And <laughs> hot take: Missy could be your shock pre-emerge boot if you're looking for another one. I think it's more likely she's the last Lyra standing, but... Yeah, that's what it feels like. Standing with a chance to win again. Michael Yerger, not, um, like, whoever was actually there. Um, Laurel and Jonathan, how dare you forget Laurel, who won Survivor 37 Ghost Island. Oh my goodness. Missy is actually Michael, isn't she? That's probably a good fit. That's what she is. That makes so much sense. Like, yeah. Well, I don't think she's as positive. As positive, but... I mean, she didn't react to Krishma, so... Man. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, but Michael also had some weird stuff in there, too. Like, mm-hmm. early on, like, he had some weird, weird content that they opted to kind of... Yeah. Uh, ignore and give him and stuff. So... Yeah, that's that's good for Missy. We only have one, our one last person here. I guess we have two more. One was voted out, though. Tom. Tom is so interesting to me because I think the one thing that's consistent, he always says the truth. It's always accurate. Yeah. He's honestly... Like, as we sort of disassemble and tear apart Lyro, like... If anyone looks better, it kind of feels like it could be Tom. Like, he's consistent. He's right. Like, he's likable. He's just, like, not featured enough, it feels like, to me. And also, he's, like, he's still kind of slightly, like, misogynistic. Yep. (laughs) But otherwise, like, I don't think Tom looks horrible. I agree. Like, honestly, I think I've been higher on Tom than you have in the previous episodes. Like, 
he got great content in the first mm-hmm. episode. I thought okay content in the second episode. He was there, and then yeah, I think I've... content-ish here. Yeah, I think that was the thing. It felt like they were giving him enough content where he could have gone home. Like I totally could have seen the votes going for Tom instead of Vince. And I guess that's sort of the same thing as Krishna, where it's like he didn't get voted out. So what exactly were they trying to do this episode? So I think they were setting him up as the decoy boot, but at the same time they're telling us, oh, him and Elaine are still close. They said mm-hmm. really subtly put that in there, right? Um, him and Elizabeth are now close. They're both athletes, by the way. This guy is a professional hockey player. I do think that there is like a lot going on here. I think he'll be here a decent chunk of time still. Um, he could be like a Brendan Shapiro or like like leader guy who gets voted a swap, but I'd probably predict him to go to the merge. Um, and be like a at least a decoy winner threat. He's he's clearly a good player. And that's something that's I'm surprised about. So Tom's a mystery to me because he's one of those people who's very, very well spoken. His he knows how to kind of make have attached story to a confessional. Mm-hmm. Which is gonna yes, give him a lot very of good confessionalist. Yeah. Which is makes it a little hard because He's he's not he should not be on the top of anybody's winner contender list, but I think if he somehow stumbled into the winning seat, I wouldn't be super shocked. And I also think his game he's sort of in like a like backed against the wall position here. I think at a swap he could really like maneuver into a position of power and flourish from there. <laughs> like we sort of saw that with the first episode where it at least wanted to show us that Elaine, Tom and Vince like came out on top and then things sort of settled into the girls Alliance. And, but I think if he can get out of this position and becomes a little bit more complex as he goes forward, I think that's good for him. Agreed. And I think there's always a couple things you can do. Like you look back at the first episode and you're like, okay, they just abandoned that trio. But maybe it's saying something else. Maybe it's saying Tom has an ability to see beyond what people look like, and that makes him a good survivor player. That's mm-hmm. the key to winning survivor in this season. That kind of stuff is always possible. Oh, by the way, he's an underdog. This mm-hmm. rich hockey player is an underdog. That kind of stuff is all in the realm of possibility, which gives to me, Tom, I guess, maybe I'm leaving this with Tom number one on Lyra, which is ridiculous. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Lyra's just a disaster. Like, yeah. I honestly think basically give me everybody on Vokai over him. <laughs> give me Even Vince. Lauren? Mm. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Real tough. And I, I guess know, things have shuffled since we've been discussing and talking it out. So I agree. Yeah. So, oh, and happy Thanksgiving to Tom. It's, uh, he's playing American like, Survivor, though, so yeah. he's going to have to wait a few months. That is true. That is true. Um, <laughs> it's two Thanksgivings. Wow. So, how magical. That brings us here to Vince. And 
this episode was all about Vince. Mm-hmm. And clearly production loved him. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad that he's he's just uh, too good of a student that it's like leaves. <laughs> Sandra clearly loved him. But I don't know if he really is going to have much ripple effect here on this season. Yeah. I don't think so. It was kind of interesting to see his trajectory where I had him as a winner contender episode one and then he weirdly dismantled that episode two. And I don't quite remember what we thought his trajectory then was, whether he would go this soon or not. I don't think I thought he was going this soon, but here we are. If I remember correctly, we were under the impression that he no longer has any of the upside that we said. So could leave soon, could leave late. Hmm. Me, Vince, the one ripple effect I see is he's clearly used as kind of a whipping boy for don't speak your mind like an idiot. Um, mm-hmm. In episode two, him leaving this fast after that is ridiculous uh, and shows, I think, how serious that theme is. Like, they really don't want you to be outspoken this season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, he had an amazing premiere and then like the worst episode two ever. So I'll take that without you. Well, it's kind of weird that he has like two positive episodes and a really negative episode, but mm. I think there's a lot in this season about how you react to being put in a dangerous position and Vince reacted very poorly. And I think the characters that are going to do well are going to be the ones who react really positively and calmly to like pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good look going forward. So that's the Lyra tribe. They really are a dumpster fire, I think, in terms of win equity, and honestly, kind of like everything else too. Stories, all that. Um, yeah, not to forget puzzles. Also puzzles. Yeah, they're good at swimming though. They're sure. good at blindsides. Good blindsides, swimming. Yep. Splitting votes. Tripping on logs. <laughs> Spying. <laughs> oh, not anymore, no, I guess. They voted out their spy. That's, that's true. So, I guess uh, I'll go with my uh, top four here. <laughs> I'm going to go with Jack number one, Tommy number two, um, Kelly number four, and I'm going to pick... Ooh... Ooh, we're going to go with Janet's number three. Um, I think I have the same list. I should say Missy was at number three, but now it's Jack one, Tommy two, Janet three, Kelly four. And I don't know who I'd pick if I had to pick a fifth. Because I think there's these weird stories on Lyro that I kind of want to go for, but a girl cut her hand. And got no sympathy for it. And so I don't really know what to think. Yeah. Like, next time you're, like, uh, Survivor 101, if you're out there and somebody, like, bleeds, help them. Like, <laughs> don't give them this content. It shouldn't be this easy. Mm-hmm. Who do you think's going to leave next? Oof. It feels like it could go any which way on Lyro. Um... Let's say I'm really, let's go for a Dean boot. Like, let's manifest that into reality. Vokai, 
Jamal. But I don't think Voka is going. I also agree that I think Lyro is going. And I think we will see a... Hmm. Giggle with a Chelsea boot is my hmm. prediction. That would be tragic. A true Premier Shock boot. I I think I think she's going to... It seems a little early. But with that like Dean stuff, it makes me think that they're going to be telegraphing a Dean boot. And we're actually going to get a Chelsea boot. If it's the purple tribe, if it's, it's probably Jamal. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe Nora, honestly. Maybe Lauren, <laughs> somehow. No. Lauren. Lauren's winning. Lauren's safe to a swap. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's our show. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, happy Canadian Thanksgiving. If you are Canadian, if not, uh, I. Probably it's Columbus so. Day. You know, yeah. the best holiday. We love Columbus Day here in the States. Just yeah. celebrating all the things we're about. Yeah. Um, it's a great... Um, like, you guys love the director of the first two Harry Potter movies that much, right? Yeah. Um, that's that's what it celebrates. Yeah. We couldn't have Quaron Day. Exactly. Columbus Day. So if you wanted to message us, uh, you can email us at, at Winner edit at gmail.com. New episodes on Saturdays this week. We're on all the good podcast catchers. Review on us on iTunes if you'd like. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Danny Kills Bees. I've been up in my Twitter game. Uh, your boy was uh, tweet was uh, tweet was going wild, getting too many notifications. Twitter's turned into a bad thing. Um, <laughs> don't let your tweets get that many likes. Oh. What a problem. They're really not even that many. I don't know how other people do it. <laughs> I know how to turn off the notifications on Twitter, and I was not prepared for, like, over 100 likes, man. Oh, that's very impressive. Um, I can be followed at jchapman9000. Um, once again, just sharing uh, things I find funny, and then I also post that the episode is out on Saturdays. So, really, I'm never going to get the likes, so... Okay, <laughs> one day you will. One day you'll tweet out a photo. One day I'll be verified. It'll be amazing. Then it'll uh, be a real... I can really start saying what's on my mind. Yeah, exactly. You can Get actually feel. So, yeah. Peace out. Have a lovely week. Uh, praise to someone... Okay, Survivor. Peace out. Yeah.